0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the sacrifices of the Israelites, how they pointed to Jesus, and our sacrifices to Him today. Leviticus three, four, six, 6, and 8. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, LiveThroughJesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. Since I'm writing as I go along, the current study may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available to purchase once all of the episodes for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. If you'd like for me to email you whenever a new blog post or a new study comes out, then email me at Courtney at and I'll put you on the email list. Okay, so now that all of that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, Moses anointed Aaron as the high priest and also set aside his sons for the priesthood. And if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. Because after we talked about anointing Aaron, we talked about the anointed one who was the Messiah, Jesus, and how he came as our high priest and as our king and also as our sacrifice. So if you missed that one, you're going to want to go back and listen to it. When we went over this ceremony last week, we did not go into detail about the sacrifices. And so that's what we're going to do today. We learned about how God anointed them, and we touched on the fact that they made sacrifices, but that was about it. So today, I want to talk about the first two sacrifices that Moses made for Aaron and his sons during the consecration ceremony. And we'll talk about these sacrifices in this particular ceremony, and then also just what the rules are to these particular sacrifices for all the people during that time. The reason I want to go into detail about these sacrifices is because every part of this ritual points to Jesus and our lives now that he's our sacrifice. And so first, I'm just going to tell you how the ceremony went and then what a few more of the rules are to these two types of sacrifices. And then we'll talk about how they pertain to us. So, the first sacrifice that Aaron and his sons gave was a sin offering, and they did this by laying their hands on the head of an unblemished bull and killing it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Now, the sacrifices always had to be unblemished, and that's because it had to be a real sacrifice for the people. It couldn't be something that was an animal with defect or something that was just useless to them. It had to be a true sacrifice. God wanted their best. And so every sacrifice that the people will make, it will say it needs to be unblemished. And since the priests held a high religious position, they had to offer the most expensive animal as a sacrifice, and that was a bull. Now, it also seems fitting that Aaron had previously made an idol out of the golden calf, and now God's asking him to sacrifice a calf. Now, I don't know if there was significance to that or not, but if there is, it seems that God may be telling him to completely give his idols up and serve him, right? It may have a little bit of symbolism there. But regardless, the Priests were to offer a bull whenever they gave a sin offering. If it was a leader that was not a priest but also wasn't a common person, then that person would have to offer a male goat, and then a common person would offer a female goat. So their level of responsibility to the nation determined how expensive the animal was that they had to offer. And then whoever was making the sacrifice had to lay their hands on the head of the animal to demonstrate that that animal was taking their place. That animal was about to be sacrificed for their sins. And then they would kill the animal themselves so that they were fully responsible for the animal dying. This was them taking full responsibility. Now, if the sacrifice was on behalf of the whole congregation and it wasn't just one single person, then the elders would be the ones that would lay their hands on the head of the sacrifice and kill it. And since the high priest was the representative of the whole nation, then normally whenever he sinned, he would bring guilt on all the people. And if it was the whole congregation that sinned or if it was the high priest that sinned and brought guilt on the whole nation, then after the animal was killed, then the blood would be brought into the sanctuary and sprinkled seven times in front of the veil and then put on the horns of the altar of incense. And then they would come back outside into the courtyard and they would put blood on the horns of the bronze altar and pour the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. That would be if it was a sacrifice for all the people. And the reason for that is because the priest was the one that was responsible for all the people and the priest would enter into the tabernacle to do his ministry. And so in a sense, his sin was also entering into that place. And so the blood would have to go into the tabernacle to make atonement for the sins. At this moment... Aaron hadn't become high priest yet, and so he wasn't responsible for the sins of the whole nation. And so this sin sacrifice was being made just on his behalf as an individual. And when it was an individual's sin, they didn't go into the sanctuary because the people were not allowed into the sanctuary. So their sin also didn't carry that far. And so the blood would only be put on the horns of the bronze altar and then poured out at its base. And the blood was poured out at the altar to show that the life had been sacrificed. The blood represents the life. And so it would pour all of the blood out at the base of the altar. And then after that, Moses would cut all the fat off of the animal, and he would burn it on the bronze altar because the people were never to eat the fat. The fat was the portion of the animal that belonged solely to the Lord, and it would be burned on the altar, it says, as a pleasing aroma to God. And so he would be smelling this food cooking, and it would be just to him. And so the people didn't eat the fat. They also did not drink the blood because the blood was the life of the animal. And both of those things were given completely to God. Now, in this situation, the rest of the bull was taken outside of the camp to the ash heap and burned completely. Normally, if the sin was on an individual, then the priest would eat the meat. And if he boiled the meat in a bronze dish, then he would just clean it and he could use it again. But if he boiled it in a stone dish where the food would kind of cook into it, then they would just have to break that. And so normally he would get to boil it and eat that meat But since this offering was given for his own sin, he couldn't benefit from it at all. It would be like us sacrificing a calf today and then getting to eat it. That's not really a sacrifice. That's for us. And so he doesn't get to eat this meat because it was sacrificed for his sin. And he doesn't get to keep any of the skin and do anything with it. All of the animal was burned. And since it was a sin offering, the sin would go outside of the camp and it would be burned outside the camp. Now, if any blood splashed on the priest's clothes, then they would wash the clothes in a holy place because this sacrifice is holy. And then from this point on, after this consecration ceremony, anytime any person sinned, even unintentionally, whenever they were aware that they had sinned, then they would have to bring the animal that we said a while ago, a bull if they were a priest, a male goat if they were a leader, and a female goat if they were a regular person. They would have to bring that, and then they would offer it the same way that we just talked about, how whoever it was would lay their hands on its head, kill it, And then they would cut the fat, take the blood to the appropriate places, burn the fat to the Lord. And then as long as it wasn't a priest or on behalf of the entire congregation, the priest would eat the meat that was sacrificed there. Now, the next offering that Moses made for the priests was a burnt offering. And this was a ram. And so they laid their hands on the head of a ram. They killed it and then threw its blood against the sides of the altar. And then they cut it into pieces and trimmed all of the fat off and washed the inside portions of the animal and washed the legs. And then they burned all the parts with the fat on the bronze altar there in the courtyard. These offerings were burned completely because they were given fully to the Lord. No one benefited from these. And since it wasn't for their sin, they didn't have to carry it outside the camp. It burned on that altar in the courtyard all night long as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. All night, God is smelling this food cooking. And then the next day, the priest would set the ashes on the east side of the altar and then change out of his priestly clothes take the ashes outside the camp and put them on the ash heap and then come back inside the camp. Now, during the consecration week, the priests couldn't leave the camp. But in the future, they would only wear their priestly clothes inside the courtyard in the tabernacle because that was the holy place and their clothes were even holy. And when they left the courtyard, they had to take their clothes off and put on regular clothes. Now, also the priests, after they had taken the ashes out, they would also have to add wood every morning to this fire because the fire on the bronze altar had to burn continuously. And it did this to show that God was always ready to accept their sacrifices. The fire was already burning. So as soon as they set it on there, the sacrifice was accepted. And so after this consecration week, anyone could give God a burnt offering It could be a man or a woman. It could be an Israelite or even a stranger. Anyone that wanted to give to God could do that. And it could be from their herd or their flock. It didn't matter. It just had to be a male without blemish. Now, if the person was too poor for it to be from their livestock, then they could offer a turtle dove or a pigeon. And all the animals were killed by the person that offered the sacrifice, like I told you before, except if it was a bird. And if it was a bird, the priest did it himself. And then God told him the exact way to do it. He had to wring its head off and burn it in the altar and then drain its blood on the side of the altar, remove the crop and all the contents and put those where the ashes are and then tear it open by its wings and making sure not to sever it completely and then burn that bird there on the altar as a burn offering to the Lord. So that one was done a little bit differently. And just as I told you with the sin offering, the animal that they sacrificed depended upon their status, their position the type of animal that they gave as a burn offering depended upon their financial ability. So if they had enough money, they would present an animal from their herd. If they didn't have quite as much money, then it would be from their flock. And if they were very poor, then they would only give a bird. Now, what does all this have to do with us, right? This is a lot of ritual, seems like a lot of rules And why do we want to learn about those things? What does that have to do with us? That's really what we need to know. Other than the fact that we read this and just think, wow, I'm so glad we don't have to do this anymore, right? There's still more implication. The first thing that I want us to think about is how the people gave as much as they could afford and they never benefited from what they gave. It was a true sacrifice. It should be like that for us too. We need to offer true sacrifices to God as much as we can. And so I want to read you what it says in Psalm 54, 6, just talks about the attitude here that we should have in giving sacrifices to God. It says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O God, for it is good. So we should give our sacrifices freely to God. The question is, what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make, right? Are we willing to really sacrifice to God or do we just want to give him whatever we have left over? Just as God wanted their best animals, he wants the best from us. He doesn't want our damaged and our useless. He doesn't want the things that we just don't care to control ourselves or things that we don't want. He doesn't want the things that are useless to us or left over after we've given all that we have to everyone else or kept what we want for ourselves. God wants our best. So the unblemished part had significance for us. It also has significance for Jesus because Jesus, as our sacrifice, was also unblemished. He was perfect. Let me read you a couple of verses that talk about the different types of things that we can sacrifice to the Lord. We mostly think about money and things, but listen to what it says in Psalm 4 5. It says, Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Why in the world would righteousness be a sacrifice? Why do we have to make a sacrifice to trust in God? It's because it's hard, right? Because we have to give up what we want to do, what sin we want to commit in order to be righteous. We have to say, I want to do this, but I'm giving this up for you, God. I'm giving my sin up for you so that I can give righteousness to you, which is what you want, because I love you that much. I want to give up control of my own things, and I want to trust you instead. Listen to what sacrifice it tells us to give up in Psalm 116, 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Giving God thanks is also a sacrifice because that means we have to humble ourselves. We have to give up our pride. We're offering him our pride in order to give him thanksgiving. We're saying you're the one. It's not me. We also have to sacrifice our pride in order to call on his name, to say, I need you. Listen to what it says in Hebrews thirteen, fifteen, and 16. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So this says the sacrifice of praise. We thank him for the things that he does, but we praise him for who he is. And so that's a sacrifice because we're saying, I am not able, but you are. I praise you for who you are and who I am not. It also says to do good and to share. God's pleased with those sacrifices. So being kind to others, being good to others, that's a sacrifice because sometimes we don't want to do that. Sometimes we don't want to share. It's ours. We worked for it. Belongs to me. Those are all sacrifices. And so we don't just have to sacrifice our money and our things. We have to sacrifice to God our righteousness, our trust, our prayers, our thanksgiving, our praise, the way we treat others. All of those things are sacrifices to God. So the question is, are we willing to make those sacrifices for God? Are we willing to say to him, I'm going to give these things to you and get no benefit from it just because I know you want it. That's sacrifice. Now, another part of this that we can learn from is how the priests and the leaders paid a higher price for their sin. And what does that have to do with us today? Well, leaders' sin costs more to the people, right? It's not just about us anymore. It's about everyone. And so a higher price needs to be paid for that. You're not just given a sacrifice for yourself anymore. You're given a sacrifice for the sins that you've committed against God and of yourself and what effects those have on others. Leaders are held to a higher standard. The consequences of their sin is weightier. So I have a couple of verses that I want to read to you about that. The first one is James 3, 1, and it says, My brothers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Teachers receive a stricter judgment because if we don't put in the time and the effort and we don't know what we're talking about, then we're hurting other people. So God holds us to a stricter judgment. Listen to what James also says in 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Leaders are supposed to know better. They're supposed to be held to a higher standard. And then this last one on this subject is Luke. 12, 47 and 48. It says, the servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do according to his master's will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who doesn't know yet committed things deserving of stripes, he shall be beaten with few. So that's talking about the consequences for someone that knows better and then the one that didn't know any better. The person that doesn't know better has a lesser consequence than the person that does. But then listen to this part. It says, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. So if God's committed a lot to us, then we'll be asked to be more responsible. And if we've been given a lot, we are asked to give more. That's what it was talking about, giving as much as we can give. If we've been given a lot, then we're asked to give a lot. And then I want you to also notice that even unintentional sins require sacrifice. At the moment that a person realizes their sin, they must give a sacrifice for that. And the reason is because the price for our sin is death. Listen to what it says in Romans six twenty three. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord the wages of sin is death. The price for sin is death. So even unintentional sins require price as soon as we realize them. And then the next lesson that we need to take from these sin offerings is how the people had to lay their hands on the animal and then sacrifice it themselves. In order to even bring the offering at all, they had to acknowledge their sin, right? Because if they did not acknowledge their sin, then they wouldn't have had any reason to bring an offering. But once they realized their sin, they had to say, yes, I did a wrong thing, which means I have to bring this as an offering for my sin. And then they had to lay their hands on that animal and kill it themselves, taking full responsibility. They couldn't send it with someone else. They couldn't say, oh, you go make the sacrifice for me here. I'll give you the animal, but I don't want to own up to it enough to stand there before the priests and kill this animal myself. That's the way it is for us, too. We have to confess our sins and take responsibility for them. Nobody else can do that for us. Listen to what it says in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So God's saying it's a sacrifice to go to him and say we messed up. But that's the sacrifice he really wants. That's what they were doing by bringing the animal. They were coming to him with a broken spirit, saying, I've messed up and here's the price for it. And now we don't give the animals. We just go to God and sacrifice our pride and say, Lord, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Listen also to what it says in Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So this is saying that once we realize our sin, if we try to cover it up, then we will not benefit from that. But if we confess our sin and turn away from it, then we'll have mercy. So that's the reason that God made the people bring their animals, admitting that they'd done wrong, and kill them themselves so that they were taken full responsibility. You see now how all of these pieces had significance? The last thing is how the altar was always burning. This was done to show that it was always ready to accept the sacrifices, and that was just pointing us to the fact that God is always ready to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Jesus already made the sacrifice, and all we have to do is go to the Lord and present it. By confessing our sins, we're presenting the sacrifice of Jesus to God and saying, I acknowledge that I messed up, and... I am placing my hands on the head of Jesus. I recognize that he died for me. It's sort of like that. And so I want to read to you Ephesians 5, 2. It says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And so Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. And this is the sweet smelling aroma that it was talking about in these sacrifices, whenever the sacrifice is presented and God smells the meat cooking, right? So it was all pointing us to Jesus, the people giving everything they had, Jesus giving everything he had, the animal being unblemished, Jesus being unblemished, we ourselves giving our best to God, giving everything we can, the leaders being held to higher standards, sin requiring a sacrifice, us having to confess our sins before we can even present the sacrifice to the Lord and accepting responsibility from them, turning away from them, and then God accepting the sacrifice on behalf of the person presenting it. So all of that was pointing to Jesus and showing us how we need to sacrifice today since Jesus did become our sacrifice all those years ago. And so that's all we're going to talk about today because the other sacrifices are going to take a little bit more time and I don't want us to end up on a really long episode. And so what we're going to talk next week about the peace offerings and the grain offerings and probably touch on a couple of others that the people will present later on, but definitely the ones that happened during the consecration week. And so it may seem like this is taking several weeks to finish, but we're really covering like 10 chapters in the Bible just with these three lessons. So... I want us to understand them and understand what it is that the people went through back then and the entire ritual of it and how it pointed to Jesus and what it tells us to do now. And so I don't want to skip over this or just summarize it. So think this week about the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf and then also what you're willing to give to him. Are you willing to give your best? Are you willing to give him the most that you can? Or do we just give God our leftovers, what we don't want, the things that don't hurt too bad? You know, are we willing to give him the sacrifice of righteousness and thanksgiving and prayer and praise and goodness towards others and give up all of the things that that requires, all of the sin that we really want to commit and all of the selfishness and the pride that we want to hold on to? Are we willing to give those things up for him? laying those things down on the altar and instead saying, I'll give you what you want, God. Think on that this week. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask him to give you a heart that says, I willingly offer these sacrifices to you, Lord. Ask him to show you what it is you need to give to him, what it is that you can do to say, God, I love you, and I'm willing to give you whatever you ask of me. Okay. So rate this episode for me. If you have any questions or comments, you can leave them in the comment section, or you can also email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode where we'll finish all of these offerings. Thanks and have a good day.